listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Now, a few years ago, I got to go on this expedition with three of my closest friends where I got to hike the Grand Canyon from the South Rim down through up to the North Rim and back again. Now, as we made our descent into the various layers of the canyon, the Kaibab layer, the uh, Red Skirt layer, the Indian Garden layer, I can tell you that with each thousand feet that we descended into the canyon, the, the vistas and the colors and the contours of the canyon became more rich and more robust with each foot of depth that we descended into the canyon. Now, what I can do right now is I can pull up photos up here and show you what that was like. I can tell you what that was like, but the thing is, it wouldn't really do it justice. Because to experience what I experienced in the depth of that canyon cannot be experienced unless it is practiced for yourself. And I think this is even more true when it comes to the practice of fasting. I can wax eloquently on the practice of fasting today. I could tell you all about it, not me telling you how I fast because I'd be breaking Jesus' command right off the the bat, but I could tell you all about the practices of fasting. But here's, here's the deal. Until you practice it, Until you descend into the depths that is the various layers of fasting before the Lord in secret, you will not know what it is until you practice it. And here's the thing. I thought I knew everything there is to know about fasting until I started studying more about fasting this past week. See, my my fear is that not just me, but many of us when it comes to fasting, we don't have this regular pattern in our life. We've often ignored it. But even even worse than that, even something that makes me fearful even more, is that we actually have a thin view of fasting, not a thick, deep, and robust view of this practice. I mean, what if I told you that fasting, nearly every time it speaks about fasting in the Bible, has nothing to do with getting results from God? What if I told you that fasting has nothing to do with convincing God to reveal something to you? What if I told you instead that fasting is not done in order to get results from God. But instead, fasting is meant to be a response to what God has already done for us. 
See, even outside in our society, maybe some of you guys do this. We, we have this new fad called intermittent fasting. Anybody familiar with it? Show me some hands. Intermittent fasting is all about results, right? You want to lose a few pounds, get that donut wheel off of here. What do you have to do? You have to work in order to get those results. You have to fast in order to get results. But for the Christian, fasting is not to get results from God. It's not to prove how worthy we are before God. Instead, fasting is to respond to the work that God has already done in and through Christ Jesus and in and through our lives. This is the role of fasting. And what my hope is today is just as I delve deep into that Grand Canyon, is that we could go yet deeper still as we go through the layers that is, one, the practice of fasting. Two, the posture of fasting. And three, the promise of fasting. And what is that promise? Is that when we fast, we will feast. When we fast, we will feast. Church, you ready to dive in? First point, the pattern of fasting. Now, look at that wording. Keep those Bibles open. Look at that wording in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. It's almost as if Jesus, our master and our king, is expecting us as his disciples to keep this regular rhythm of fasting. Look what he says in 16a, and when you fast, and then again in 17a, but when you fast. Notice it doesn't say if. It doesn't say if you take my suggestion. It's a when. Jesus is presuming that we as his followers would carry on this regular pattern, this regular habit of fasting. This is intentionally abstaining from food and sometimes drink. This is something that the the Jewish folk did and even the church continued to do along the ages. This is something that we can do as individuals. But when you look at the scope of fasting across all 66 books of the Bible, the vast majority of the time it was corporate. It was done as a community. And strictly speaking, fasting is a total abstention from food. Total abstention from food. Now, sometimes we can fast from food partially, right? We can give up certain aspects of food, like Daniel and his crew gave up eating meat, and they only ate only vegetables. Remember that story from the Old Testament. Or it's giving up food and drink in its entirety. Sometimes this would last for one meal. Other times, three days. And sometimes we would see some folks individually fasting for somewhere along the lines of 40 days. Got Moses, Elijah, and even Jesus doing this. And we do this every day. It's in the word of one of our meals. You know what it is? Breakfast. We are breaking the fast from not eating from sundown to sun up. 
Some of us don't eat from <laughs> sundown to sunup. Now, now, maybe you have this fasting thing figured out, and you can school me on this one day, but, but my mind was absolutely blown this week when I studied this. I was listening to one of my favorite living Old Testament scholars. You may have heard of him before. His name is Tim Mackey. Um, and he had the same aha moment back in 2014 that I had this last week in 2021. He explains that all throughout the Bible, we are never told why we are supposed to fast. Never told for the reason or the purpose. Instead, what we are given is narratives. We're given stories about when people fast. We never get the why, but we do get the when. And he explained that over the 30 plus times that we see fasting from Genesis to Revelation and the entire scope of the Bible, only a small, small number were for results. Everything else was in response to what God has done. And he gave three buckets to what these responses were to. That fasting was first done in response to catastrophes in our life. Second, the reason we respond with fasting is because of confession of sin. And the third reason we, we respond is because we came along the crossroads with the sacred. We had this divine intervention. So let's look, look at these for just a quick moment. It's a response to calamity. Do you remember in the story of Nehemiah when he found out the walls and the temple were broken down in his homeland? What did he do? He wept, he mourned, and he fasted as a response to the calamity. Queen Esther, when she found out that the Jews, the Israelites, were going to be executed, what did she do in response to that? She called for a corporate fast for three days. And then we have King David. When he found out his enemies, yes, you heard me correct, when he found out his enemies were sick, look at what he did in response to their calamity. He says in Psalm 35, malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother, as one who laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning. As they respond to these catastrophes, both of friends and enemies, sometimes the Lord responds favorably through their eyes. The Israelites were spared they're spared because Queen Esther went in and interceded for them. But in the case of David's enemies, they weren't spared. You see, when we experience catastrophes, when we see calamities in this life, whether it's personal, corporate, amongst this church family, or when we see it across the news stream, the response isn't to feast. It's to interrupt our feasting. By fasting to mourn and to pray for those who are suffering and hurting. But it's also confession. 
We respond with fasting to confession. This is what the vast majority of the Old Testament shows us. That when we see Israel and the people of God wake up to sin, wake up to their idolatry, they mourn, they grieve, and then they throw a feast. No, they fast. They fast. Not only did we see Israel do this over and over again, but when Jonah shows up onto the scene on the shores of Nineveh, he preaches the shortest sermon ever, which this won't be. He says these words, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And what do they do? And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a, what is that? A fast. And put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The king, the greatest of them, called for this fast because he recognized their awakening to their idolatry and their sin was an act of God's grace in their life. They fasted because they recognized that God interrupting their lives to reveal their idolatry, they didn't want to move too quickly past that moment. Why not move too quickly past that moment? It's so that you can feast on God's forgiveness. Well, you interrupt your meals. You fast in order to feast on God's kindness. You fast in order to feast on God's mercy. You fast in order to feast on his grace. When grace interrupts our lives, when grace interrupts our sinful, idolatrous way, the pattern is to go without food to embody what we're experiencing spiritually. We fast to feel what it's like to go without the things we idolize. Those good things we turned into ultimate things that became ruling things in our life. And instead of feasting in those idolatrous ways, we fast from food to teach our souls to feast on God's word and his presence through prayer. Some of you right now find yourself in the habitual pattern of the same sinful and idolatrous ways. Have you grieved that awakening? Have you mourned your idolatry? Have you fasted in response to the grace of God waking you up to your sin? That's the second way we see fasting. See, what is the most normal things we do in this life? I mean, I could bet you, I can tell you a year from now, August 29th, 2022, I could tell you what all y'all are going to be doing. Not because I'm a prophet. You're going to be eating. You're going to be eating. Eating is one of the most normal things we do. And so to interrupt our meals is to embody God's interruption of his grace in our life. Not just when we see catastrophes, not just when he moves us to confess our sin, but also when we come to a crossroads with the sacred. Let me explain this a little bit. This is what we see in Acts 13. We see, if you turn there in your Bibles, you'll see in Acts 13, the church is already fasting. We don't know why they're fasting. It just says they are fasting. And what does the Spirit do as a result? 
He says this in verses 2 and 3. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then look how they respond. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. They fasted in response to what the Spirit revealed. They didn't fast in order to get the Spirit to reveal something, but in response to it. And we see this littered throughout the Bible. That it's a response to the crossroads of the sacred. What do we see Moses doing after Israel was saved through the Exodus? Fasting. What do we see Moses doing again after Israel was spared, after they worshipped a golden calf and God renewed the covenant? Did he fast before in order to get God to renew the covenant? No, it was after God renewed the covenant. We don't know why he was fasting, but we know when. It was in response to God revealing himself. Again, we see this with Elijah. There's almost this competition between gods on the mount. Will Baal come out victorious, or will Yahweh come out victorious? He doesn't fast in order to get God to rain down hail to consume the wet-soaked offering. No, he prays. God consumes the offering, and what happens after that? He then fasts. It's a response to the crossroads in the life. We don't know why he fasts, but we know when. It was after he experienced the sacred. And we see this in our Savior King, Jesus. We don't know why he fasted for 40 days, but we know when. It's when the Father's voice boomed from heaven. This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit descended on him. And the Spirit sent him off into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. We don't know why. We just know when. Fasting, most often, is a response to catastrophes, to confession of sin, to crossroads with the sacred. That is the pattern of fasting. And this has been the practice for the church every century since the resurrection. In every country since the resurrection. And they fasted in response to feast on God's results in their life. It's the pattern Jesus wants us to see, but he also gives us a deepening posture of what he would like to see. Matthew 16, 18, this is our second point, the posture of fasting. Amen, baby, back there. We're getting into it. When you fast, he says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. What do you notice here? There are two postures. Two postures of fasting. And they both have the same aim. The aim is to be seen. One, verse 16, is to be seen by an audience. Others. Verse 18, it's to be seen by another audience. The audience of one, your Father in heaven. 
See, the Pharisees, the Pharisees had this regular practice of fasting multiple times a week, right? Remember in Jesus' parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee comes up in the temple and he says, oh, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that traitor of a tax collector. Oh, I pray, I give, and I fast. How many times? Twice a day. Twice a day they fasted. Not twice a day, twice a week. Let me get that right. They fasted twice a week. It's interesting, though, how Jesus tells this story about the hypocritical nature of the religious leaders. Their hypocrisy with praying, giving, and fasting. He tells a parable about it. And in chapter 6, he teaches us about it. Don't be hypocrites when you give. Don't be hypocrites when you pray. And here, don't be like the hypocrites when you fast. Similar to us, there's a bunch of folk right now who want to perform and tell you how you ought to be a Christian. And they're doing it for your eyes. They're doing it for your praise. Israel had the same problem. These followers on the hillside had the same problem. They were watching people posturing their religiosity. They were watching these these leaders advertising self. They were watching these leaders create a brand for the glory of self and not the glory of God. And Jesus, in this teaching, is asking us, what do you want when you want to be seen? We know what the hypocrites want. The attention. The praise of others. But what do you want when you want to be seen? These hypocrites want praise for these theatrics, right? The word hypocrite, you guys know this? The word hypocrite comes from a first century B.C. word that was surrounding the Greco-Roman stage, the theater. A hypocrite literally was a large theatrical mask that concealed the identity of the actor. It allowed the actor to act as someone they were not, to be someone they were not. Allow the actor to put on a costume, to pretend they were someone on the outside while being someone completely different on the inside. The religious leaders knew how to conceal their real identity. They knew how to put on the theatrical and concealing masks. Look what they did, verse 16. They disfigured their faces. Why? So they could be seen by others. They didn't fast to grieve sin. They didn't fast to grieve the catastrophes around them. They did not fast because they had a crossroads with the divine. They fasted to advance their brand. They fasted to advance religion and not repentance. John Chrysostom, the early church father from the 200s, He writes this, for the value of fasting consists not in abstinence of food, right? He's not doing away with the abstinence of food. He's talking about value here. 
For the value of fasting consists not in the abstinence of food, but in withdrawing from sinful practices. In fact, those who limit their fasting only to abstinence from food actually dishonor it. This was the Pharisees' problem. How do we know? It's because they never changed. Sure, they had behavior modification, but not heart transformation. Their outward disposition, grieving over sin, did not match their inward celebration of their pride in order to be seen. See, what Jesus wants us to see is that you can be a beautiful whitewashed tomb, he says in Matthew 23. You're like whitewashed tombs, gorgeous on the outside, full of death on the inside. See, what Jesus wants us to understand today, what we do matters. But hear me, why you do it matters more. What you do matters, but why you do it matters more to Jesus. He's not getting rid of the practice of fasting. He's renewing the motivations of fasting. He essentially says, take a shower, clean up, put on some fresh clothes, and brush those teeth, because if you ever fasted before, you know your breath gets a little bit stale. And you want that, that bad breath to come off, and they are, oh, they must be fasting because they got stank, stale breath. Do whatever it takes to make sure nobody knows that you are fasting. Because the purpose of fasting is not to show off. The purpose of fasting is not to show everybody how religious and pious you are. No, he says, fast and remember who sees you. The one who already approves of you, your Father in heaven, the one who already accepts you, your Father. See, true Christian knows that they are being watched by the audience of one, our Father. Let me ask you, what do you want when you want to be seen by others for what you do? What are you wanting when you want to be seen? What do you want when you perform your religious theatrics for others? Giving, praying, fasting. Many of us, we want results, don't we? We want to be seen. We want them to respond to us. And look closely here. Look closely at this passage. It's not the audience that the hypocrites are obsessed with. It's themselves. They are fasting in order to feast, all right? To feast on the praise of me, to feast on the praise of self, the glory, the self-exaltation of me, myself, 
and I. And Jesus says, yeah, you can fast. You can pray good. You can give good. You can bluff a human audience. You can captivate a human crowd. But God will not be mocked. He will not be mocked by our public spectacle. You can practice it. You can posture it for your own personal gain and self-glory. But it comes with a promise. It comes with a promise, church. Jesus says that those play actors who advance their brand of religion and appeal to the masses, they already have their reward. It's already there. They have the reward of a temporary audience so long as they keep performing. But you, but you, who fast for the audience of one, to not feast on public attention, to not feast for horizontal praise, but instead you fast in secret because you know your Father sees you and knows you and loves you in secret. He gives you a reward. It is a promise. He says in 6.18, and your Father who sees in secret might reward you. It's a promise. Will. He will reward you. Now, what is a secret? Have you chewed on this word before? Fasting in secret. What is a secret? Now, sometimes a secret is a tidbit of information that we share with a couple people in order to keep it from everybody else. But other times, a secret is just something that you, in the most intimate relationship you have, know about one another. You know one another on a deeper level. Similar to my trip in the Grand Canyon, other folks have taken trips to the Grand Canyon. But me and my three good friends, we have a type of a secret experience that no one else knows about, nor can understand, because they weren't there. As many times as I try to explain it to folks, they just don't understand. I mean, have you ever shared that moment with someone before? Shared that type of secret, that type of experience before with someone? What does that produce within you? Joy. You feel known. And not just known. You feel loved. You feel accepted. And what is the secret? God already knows. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows more things about you than you know about you. And he even knows when you try to put on a mask when you're around the church to conceal who you really are to everyone else. And he's inviting you, take it off. Why can we take it off? Because when we're before him in secret, he still approves of us. 
He still loves us. He still accepts us. But the question is, do you know what he knows about you? He knows the worst about you. He knows your worst fears. He knows everything you've done, everything you thought, everything you felt. And what is the reward for you? Let me tell you what it's not. It's unlike the hypocrite's reward. What is the hypocrite's reward? They have to keep performing in order to get their reward. They have to keep acting in order to get the applause of men. They have to keep up the theatrics in order to be seen by others because once their performance dies, so does their acceptance and approval. And herein lies the invitation for us. That those who fast in secret, God rewards you not because of what you do, but because of what he's done. God rewards you not because of who you are, but because who he is. He's slow to anger. He is loyal. He is steadfast. He is merciful. And his love, it never runs out. God rewards you because you have finally come to the end of your religious performing and you've decided to hang it up. God rewards you because you can finally admit I'm at a crossroads. There is a calamity within my soul and there is something I must confess. I've been living for the exaltation of me. See, when our lives have been spiritually, mentally, emotionally interrupted with that realization that we live for self-glory and not God-glory, when we are interrupted with that realization, we then want to embody it by fasting. Embody it by giving up food, giving up drink, in order to feast on the only glory that deserves glory, God alone. And why do we fast now? Why do we fast now? At one point, Jesus' disciples did not fast. He was asked by John's disciples, hey, we see that your, your disciples don't fast. How come? And this is what he says. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. They did not fast because they were feasting. They're feasting with the one who has promised to make all things new. They're feasting with the one who accepts us just as we are, but is so good that he does not leave us where we are. But when will we fast? When does it say? When Jesus was taken. He was taken. By who? The hypocrites. The hypocrites took Jesus. And now we respond. Since the bridegroom was taken, we now respond in fasting 
Because that bridegroom, Jesus, first responded to us. He first responded to our inward catastrophe. That we exist for the glory of self and not the Savior. He responded to our need for confession. And he responded at the crossroads in his life because at his baptism in the Jordan River, he was met with a crossroads with the sacred. He could either live, take the way of comfort, or die and take the way of the cross. And that's what Jesus did. He took our calamity on himself. He took our confession of sin on himself. He came not to live, but to die for us. He came to drink the cup of wrath so that we don't have to feast on a cup of wrath, but we get to feast in the presence of the living God. And why can we go before God without a performative mask? Why can we go before God without our religious costumes on? It's because all of our hypocrisy, all of our play acting has been thrown on Jesus. And when it was thrown on Jesus on that cross, the Father turned his face away from Jesus so that he can turn his face towards you. So that he can see you as you are, love you where you are, that you don't have to perform to come and meet God. But he loves you just where you are, but he loves you enough not to leave you where you are. And why, why does he do this for us? It's because he knows that it's only Jesus who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot perform enough. We can't fast enough, pray enough, give enough in order to make ourselves look righteous. You see, when we fast this way, we realize that we're not fasting for God to give us the results that we want. But we're fasting to enjoy the results that he already gave us. The results that we need. His righteousness, his holiness, his perfection, his grace, and his mercy. Do you see what the reward is? The reward is already offered to you. The reward is the results of the cross and the empty tomb. The reward is the presence of the triune God. That is our reward. That is our reward, is God's glory. The Father is the reward. Jesus is the reward. The Spirit is the reward. And we don't need the attention from others because we already have the attention of the King of the universe. And he says, I love you. I am for you, not because of you, but because of what Jesus has done in your place. We don't fast to get results. We fast in order to enjoy the results in Christ in Christ alone. And you know what happens when we feast on those results? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we, with unveiled faces, we behold the glory of God. You know what he's referring to there? Moses. Moses, on the top of Mount Sinai, after he fasted, for 40 days. We don't know why he fasted, but we know when he fasted. What happened as a result? Moses was transformed. And the promise for us is when we feast on God's glory, that his spirit with unveiled faces, we could take off the mask. You know what happens? We get transformed from one degree of glory to another. 
that when you enjoy the results of God's glory, his cross and his empty tomb and in our place, you know what happens? Results happen. You get transformed. You get changed to become more like Christ. More like the image you are meant to bear. More like the man and the woman God created you to be in Christ Jesus. Amen? This is why we feast. We feast to respond respond to the results that have already been performed for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so the invitation for you right now is to respond. And as we close, some of you right now, some of you right now, you've been cut. You've been cut to the core. That you've either been worshiping a good thing that's turned into an ultimate thing that turned into a ruling thing of your heart. And the response isn't just to forget about it. It's to fast from it so that you can feast on your forgiveness in Christ. Some of you right now are recognizing sinful patterns in your life. And the response is to stop pretending that you're more righteous than you are. But come to your Father in secret and confess. And fast and respond to his forgiveness in you. That he's going to meet you right where you are. Others of you, the invitation is to fast because you're watching catastrophe after catastrophe in your own life. The world that's going on, whether it's in the Gulf Coast right now with a hurricane or in Haiti with the earthquake or over in Afghanistan, we're watching brothers and sisters being persecuted for the faith. The response is not to play act online and say my thoughts and prayers on Instagram and TikTok or whatever you do. The response is to go before your father in secret and fast in response to the catastrophes they're experiencing. And right now, Some of you might be at a crossroads in your life. God has revealed something new to you on the horizon. And the response isn't to feast just yet, but to fast to what God has already done. So he can prepare you that whatever comes next, feasting or fallow, Your certain hope is not in what happens next. Your certain hope is in the results that have already happened in the person and work of Christ Jesus. Amen? Let us be a church who does not fast for the feasting feasting of the approval of others, but we fast to feast on the reward who is Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've given us this practice.